Hello, and welcome to Tomversations. That's T-H-O-M-versations, where the H makes all the difference. How the H are you? I'm your host, Tom Cocaine. That's T-H-O-M-K-O-K-E-N-G-E. You can see where the H came from, right? Yeah. Well, what's this podcast all about? Uh, I want to talk to people. I want to find out their stories. I want to find out what the H is going on in their lives. I'm looking for information and experiences. Then put it out to the world. See what happens. And today, you will hear from Jim Boland. Jim rode his bike from the West Coast to the East Coast in like 30 days. That's not something a lot of people do. So we'll get some interesting stories about that. Plus, we'll talk a bit about kneeling during the National Anthem. And you know, Jim also runs his own business, Hog Heaven Sausage Works. And he's also a member of the Moscow, Idaho City Council. It's a pretty good chat. I like Jim. I think you'll like Jim. Here's Jim. The big thing you did is you took your, your bicycle across the United States, right? Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, from Astoria, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia in 30 days and eight hours. 30 days on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Do you need, like, what do you, how do you prepare for that? Um, you ride a bicycle a lot. Um, I, I did like training things where I'd ride to Riggins and back on the weekend. That's you know, a good, so, uh, what is that? So That's like, like 150. So I ride down to Riggins and camp out and ride back the next day. And that, that was a pretty good indicator of, uh, you know, uh, are you, can you keep up that distance and that pace day after day? You know, that's what I, that's what I was shooting for is somewhere around 150 to 170 a day is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it under 30 days. Cause that's the time frame I had to work with. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, and I kind of wanted to, uh, find out if my regular fitness program was enough to, uh, prepare you for that kind of thing. So, uh, the things that I normally do fitness things, I wondered, is this program enough to allow you to ride over a hundred miles a day continuously for a month? And uh, apparently it was because I made it. Now, is this a, it's not a race, is it? There is a race and it was going on at about the same time, but I'm not a real fan of, um, paying money to have people tell me what to do. So, <laughs> so like I want to ride the route and I, this is my time frame, but I'm not, interested in in the pressure of having to be a certain place at a certain time or if i wanted to deviate and go see sightsee on off route yeah then i wanted to be able to go do that um especially in the east because i'd never been uh from kansas through kansas kentucky illinois um, virginia were all that was all new ground to me and uh and i just finished reading general grant's biography and uh, so i was all about the civil war things and oh yeah and what was going on in reconstruction and and so i wanted to see all those places and and all of them weren't on the route so so i deviated somewhat and it probably added a few miles but it was well worth it i think so this is this is actually you did it on your own but there's actually an event that goes on at the same time yeah, what the, kind of the, give me the parameters of why or what was going on at this this the, there's trip. a trans am bike race and it's been going on for um i don't know five or six years i think yeah about that and it follows the the uh adventure cycling trans am bike route across the united states and um 
so there's a bunch of circus freaks that want to do that in <laughs> under 20 days. And, wow. th- and so they're, and they're like amazing people that can have a capacity for suffering that I certainly don't. I mean, they, they're writing 20 hours a day. And, uh, and I knew I, since I started like three days before the race actually started in Astoria, I figured they would catch up with me, um, you know, after a week or 10 days that the circus freaks would start to show up, you know, <laughs> and they did, you know, and, uh, and it was really fun to ride with them when they found out you weren't in the race anymore. They were way more friendly. There were people from, uh, UK, uh, New Zealand, uh, Sweden, Taiwan, you know, just oh, super oh, nice wow. people. Uh-huh. And, um, and I would ride with, I'd meet them usually sometime during the day, somehow you'd be stopped for food or something and they'd show up or you would stop and they would be stopped for food and uh, so you ride along with them and i found that i was riding about the same pace they were during the day we would stay together and converse and everything and after about you know 120 miles or whatever being together it would start to get dark and i'm like i'm gonna camp right here and they're (laughs) like well we're going another 50 miles or whatever and and have a nice day because i'm not doing that you know if I wanted to ride in the dark, I'd stay home at home on a trainer, you know. <laughs> I wanted, to, you know, I'm not going to ride across the country every week, so I want to see everything, and uh, that was my deal. My kind of my ethic was I want to follow the route, and I want to see everything, and I don't want to do it under 30 days. And so, so you, so there, there was some kind of a 30. This is your 30 days. It's yeah, not like somebody else's 30 days. Right. But you're following this route where this race was going, and at the same time this race was going, but right. you weren't part of that race. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the, and the, the guys that are doing, you know, trying to do it in 20 days or less, or you know, as fast as they can, they're carrying almost nothing. They have like rain gear and a credit card, and. Uh, you know, and I had at least a camp. I had a bivy and a sleeping bag and oh, a pad and mm-hmm. um, gear. I, I was I was prepared for any kind of weather from, and I got any kind of weather. I got everything from snow to 105, and you know, so. Um, but when I got to Kansas and it was 105, the winter gear got shipped home because <laughs> I didn't really need to haul that up the hills in the Ozarks. And when what time of year was this? This was June. Okay. Yeah. For the entire month of June. Yeah. You start June 1st or? Well, I started like uh, May 30th and I finished June 29th. So, yeah. Do, do you need like a certain kind of bicycle? Well, I just have a regular road bike and I didn't really have specialized gears for it. I didn't really have hill climber gears, which probably would be helpful. My my lowest gears, uh, 39 teeth in the front and 24 or 25 in the back, which is pretty standard road gear Ultegra setup and uh mm-hmm. and it was uh it was all i could do some of the 12 percent hills in missouri and 12 uh, percent yeah oh were, man I'd, I'd be walking along the side of that sucker yeah I, I was pretty close to walking a couple of times yeah and out of eminence missouri there's a couple of hills where you know you see them coming and look this double yellow line looks like it's vertical <laughs> and it's like a stair step kind of thing but they're very steep and um uh, at the top of the one out of eminence there's a guy who sits there with a diesel pickup because people take their horses down in there to ride in the ozarks in the national park huh. and then they find that they don't have enough power to get out and he sits there and pulls them over the top for a hundred bucks oh wow that's a so it's his little part-time gig. yeah it's easy he just sits there and hangs out over the weekend and <laughs> makes a few hundred bucks pulling people that stall out and can't get over the hill you know 
That's like, you know, it kind of reminds me that um, when, was it a Model T? I can't remember what the, and one of the first cars that came out, that if it, you couldn't go up the hill and going forward, they suggested you turned around and went up backwards because it had a, a lower, lower gear reserve. Yeah. 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 Lower reverse than. So did you try gear. that? Did you try going backwards? And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't try that. I was pretty sure I wasn't going anywhere backwards. Um, yeah, there, uh, it was, it was a great experience and, it, uh, the kindness and generosity of people when you stop places and they find out what you're doing was like phenomenal how it restores your faith in humanity that these people you've never met will feed you and show you magic tricks and really you know, like like where where did it, give me an example like uh, uh fordville kentucky i stop in this general store to get some food and there's a guy named siebert carson there and he's probably 75 or so and he, he's like uh Hey, I'm going to show you these magic tricks. And, and he showed me a bunch of tricks. And, uh, well, one of them was he, he had a beer can in a, in a glass and there was another glass next to it. And he said, I can move that beer can from that glass to that glass without touching the can or either of the glasses. I'll bet you I can do that. I said, I'll bet you can too. Otherwise you wouldn't want to bet me, but I'll, but I'll bet you a dollar Siebert just so I can see how you do it. And, and he, he was doing it with air pressure. He'd blow on them into the glass and the, air pressure would push the can up out of the one glass over into the other one. And really, so it was kind of cool. You know, it was kind of a cool trick that you can take home and show yeah. kids how to do. And it's he used physics fun. then. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And he, well, he had a bunch of other tricks, but he was, he, he was interested in what I was doing. He said, you could see through the window that I was on a bicycle and he's mm -hmm. like, you know, where did you come from? And I said, Astoria, Oregon. And he looked at me like a, like that was Mars or something. And, and he, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Yorktown, Virginia. And he said, wow, that's still quite a ways. You still got like, what, another thousand miles? I said, yeah, about that. And he said, you know, um, around here, people don't go that far. <laughs> so my cousin Jeter grew up um, on the farm outside of Fordville here. And they had their own chickens and ducks and pigs and cattle. And they raised a garden and, and he lived there his whole life. And, from, he was born there, and they had everything they needed. And uh, when he was 55 years old, I think he told me, somebody took him in a car to a wedding. It was 66 miles away. And when he got home, he said, if he never went that far again, it would be too damn soon. Wow. You know? So that's that's the kind of, you know, a perspective of people that live in those hollows in eastern Kentucky yeah. that they're – their perspective of the world is so small that any change is terrifying and they don't want to, wow. They don't even want to know that there's the world out there. Jeez. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't think I can imagine my life not traveling, you know? Yeah. Me neither. I, you know, I've been all around the world and, and yeah. it gives you such perspective on how wonderful we have it here in oh, Moscow, Idaho, you know? Yeah. And truly. Uh, I don't went through, you know, literally hundreds of little towns across, all the way across cent the central part of the United States, and mm -hmm. this one pretty much measures up. You know, we we have it good here, so it's a good place to live, Moscow. Oh. I mean, my, my wife Elise and I we talk about all the time about what a good place this is. You got uh, you know major university here, so there's and all that, but it's a land grant university, so it's not going away anytime soon, as long as you know certain management keeps it's not <laughs> stuff. But, but that's you know that's that's ongoing that's that doesn't stop like the pain but uh 
yeah, it's it's a good place. I mean, it's not only that, but just the United States in general. Um, when you uh, go to other countries and you see like, uh, you know, like, oh, wow, we are a first world nation. When I mean, if you even look at like second world, you know, if you go first, second, third world, I mean, there is like, wow, okay, we are pretty advanced. I mean, that, that phone in your pocket is pretty advanced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when you got there, what was like, when you look at these small towns, like what, what was it that you saw that made you go, you know, we do have it good here. Was there something in particular? Uh, you notice the infrastructure, you know, oh, you notice mm-hmm. streets and, um, well, bicycle infrastructure for one thing. Oh yeah. You know, yeah like, you're uh, right on the road. Um, so you'd notice it. You, um, for, for one thing, when you're out on the open road crossing the United States, anything that's beneficial to a bicycle is accidental. Uh, shoulders on the roads, you know, in the West is great. I mean, because we have winter and so the roads have shoulders for people can get off and there's separation between you and the traffic and all, all the roads in the Eastern part where the route went or narrow roads that were probably made with a horse and a scraper in 1825 or whatever. Yeah. And, they're they're narrow and they're windy and they're steep and uh, there is absolutely no consideration for people on bicycles. I mean, there's no, there's been no shoulder put on there so that people could get off. Oh yeah, like when you could, if you if you bicycled in Portland, for example. Yeah, I haven't, but I can I can see the infrastructure that is there for bicycles. Right, they've intentionally. Uh, made it difficult to drive so people will ride their car, <laughs> yeah. you know, ride their bike and uh, yeah. Um, and here we have it really good with our path system. The the next best path system I saw all the way across the United States was at Williamsburg, Virginia. Well, that's a long and, ways away. Yeah. And they have a 40 mile path there. That's really awesome. But, uh, but it's still not as good as Pullman to the bottom of the Canyon in Troy. You know, it's. Yeah. What's that trail called? The, uh, Le- the Leita Trail? Yeah, the Leita Trail, yeah. Mm. The, yeah, the kind of like it's off the side. Didn't it all used to be a, a railroad track? Or Yeah, it's, it was. it's a uh, railroad right-of-way, and eventually yeah. it'll go all the way to Kendrick, but it's not quite there yet. But when it does, we'll have a... Well, that's a long route. All the way to one. Kendrick. I didn't know it would go that far. What is that? That's got to be... Is that 100 miles? It can, no, not quite. Well, from... Yeah, well, from the whole Holman, thing. Or, no, the whole trail is goes past Pullman, doesn't it? No, well, Pullman's kind of the terminus right now. I'm ah. trying to get it to go to Colfax, and hopefully it will. If it, um, there's a abandoned railroad that goes to Colfax, and people are working to try and get the, a paved trail that goes to Colfax, and then it would go Colfax to Pullman, to Moscow, Troy, Kendrick, and then you've got a big shoulder to get to to Lewiston. So come up the Spiral Highway or whatever, and get back get back that way it would be a destination bicycle touring oh for sure you know for sure uh, with all the wineries and whatnot and breweries yeah chin chin yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay so back to your your trip so you you went across the 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 united states and you know the thing that uh, okay i remember talking to a guy I, i don't know if he did this particular trip this is when i lived in ellensburg and he did a bicycle trip across the United States. Um, that was a time trip like this, but I don't think it's the same one because this was probably a couple of decades ago. I talked to him, and he, after like a, a a couple of few days, his neck he couldn't hold up his head anymore. Shermer's neck, that's called. That, that yeah. really. So what they did is they 
on it. He had a helmet, but they put a stick and taped <laughs> the stick to his head and somehow affixed it to his back so his head would stay up. Yeah. How, how did your body hold up through this oh, whole thing? I had, the, the motor held up pretty well because, <laughs> I, I mean, I was kind of pretty vigilant about, uh, I, I had some neuropathy in my hands and feet, but but I was pretty careful about getting my head up and not, well, and I was trying not to be in the saddle more than 10 or 12 hours. And uh, people will get that Shermer's neck thing. That's probably race across America. And they're, and they're, it's a supported thing. And people ride like 20, you know, they'll ride until they collapse. And then there's a support vehicle that throws them in, lets them sleep. And then they wake up and, and that's how you get Shermer's neck. You know, you just holding your head up for so long and then your, those muscles just don't work anymore. Wow. And so, but you didn't have that problem at no, all. No, I never had that at all. I wasn't riding that much. Well, you know, I think my ass would just kill me. <laughs> well, um, I did, I got some saddle sores and I, it was mostly because of, uh, extra weight on the bike, climbing with extra weight on the bike. Cause they kind of went away when I sent all my winter gear home and how is that? I don't get that. I don't it's, understand. It's just that you're, when you're pushing harder, there's more leverage against the, your, your sit bones in the seat uh-huh. side to side. Uh-huh. And, and the more weight you're pushing up the hill, the I harder see. you're pushing against it. You have to, you probably have like a longer throw or something. So you're sliding back and using yeah, your body you just, more back and forth. That you're type just of thing. pushing harder. Uh-huh. And, um, and you know, gearing probably would alleviate that too, if I had lower gears, but. Um, but I didn't, so. <laughs> wow. So, but they they went away after a while. In Kansas, I think, when it got flat, <laughs> it finally gets flat. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to like a uh, uh, like what do you? I'm trying to think of like okay, I'm for one, I would never do this. I would never go. Okay, I'm going to bicycle for 30 days. Uh-huh. You know, I don't like to bicycle for 30 minutes. <laughs> Right. So uh, what kind of, do you have to plan for gear? I mean, you have to sit there and like, okay, and all that, but you know, I buy a motorcycle. So my thought, my thing is how small does it get and how many things does it do? Then if it does multiple things, it goes on the bike when I take a bicycle, a motorcycle trip. So were you kind of in that same kind of mind frame or? Yeah. And and this isn't my first rodeo. I like, um, uh, several years ago, I was going to do the tour divide bicycle race, which is from Banff, Alberta to Mexico. Oh, that's a trip. Yeah, on the Continental Divide. There's a Continental Divide route. Huh. And uh from Banff, man, that's all that's all the way north. That's way yeah, north. Yeah, it's above it's like two hundred and fifty miles north of the border. And um and I was gonna do that, but they changed the the time frame on it and I had already arranged things so I couldn't make that. So that I was I would do my own kind of um uh, tour divide light and i did it like a circumnavigation of idaho on my mountain bike and went you know down to the nevada border and across the bottom of southern idaho and and back up and around so there was no shuttle i just rode from my house all the way around idaho and came back and Mm. and picked my own route and 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 i got to test out a lot of gear and find out what works and what what doesn't and then i did the tour divide from Banff to mexico in 14 and uh and kind of refined what gear I needed, what worked and what was useless and, and got rid of that. So this time I, I pretty well had my gear lined out. So you, you have years of experience in this kind of long yeah. distance. Yeah. Bicycling. This is the first time I've done this. And so I was pretty well prepared from a gear standpoint. And, um, it, 
I didn't, it didn't take much planning in terms of that. Cause I already had that stuff collected and, and I, there was, uh, I needed actually less gear for this than I did for tour divide because you're on pavement and you're, you, if you're going 150 miles a day, you're going to go through some towns. So you don't need to carry quite as much emergency stuff. Oh, so like, uh, what, what, well, what do you need to carry? Like emergency, like food or water? I assume something you have to carry some yeah. of that. I, you had to be able to carry more water on the tour divide because you don't, and a, a pump to pump water from stock tanks and stagnant ponds or oh, wherever, yeah. you know, you uh -huh. need to be able to get water, especially you know, New Mexico and places like that where it's kind of scarce, but, um, and you have to carry more food because it's farther between food and you oh. don't, it's not as dependable on the tour divide as it is, uh, Trans Am, uh, where you're on pavement and you're going to get to a town sometime in the day. There were a lot of times on tour divide, like for instance, uh, between, uh, Pie Town and Silver City, there's like 258 miles of no food. Pie Town so, and Silver City, where is that? New Mexico. Okay. So, um, and there was supposed to be food, but the, you know, the little outpost that was supposed to have food was closed. And so keep uh, trucking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all you can do. You know? <laughs> I think I was down to a package of ramen noodles and a shot block when I got to Silver City. I was like, uh, need some food pretty bad right now. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those shot blocks will get you, keep you going for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing little technology, those little cubes. Yeah. Amazing what those little things will do for you. Yeah, they are. They're uh, not filling, but man, they'll give you a little bit of energy for a while. It goes right in. I th they're the, I like them better than gel or anything like that. They yeah, that weird, that weird gel stuff they kind of squeeze. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I yeah. think it works, but then, I mean, I like it okay in terms of an energy thing, but then I hate those little packets that ooze all over your pack, you know? So, yeah. You know, uh, disposing of the detritus isn't as good, you know? Yeah, um, and I and you need more uh, cold weather gear and stuff on the tour divide too because you cross the divide um, thirty two times and oh and it's um, a lot of it's over ten thousand feet and so it, it was cold. I mean, my first night in New Mexico, it was thirty six degrees and sleeting, and um, I thought, God, I'm, I'm two thousand miles farther south and I've got the same weather I had in Banff, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then by the next day it was like eighty-five and and dry as a bone. So yeah, that's that almost sounds like Kansas weather too. Yeah. Kansas will do that. Yeah, I got a good good view of that. I had forty mile an hour crosswinds and and one hundred and five. You know, it was oh, like man, it was blast furnace. Yeah, it was you couldn't possibly drink enough water. Oh, yeah. Five people uh, that were in the in the race, or four people, got hit by cars Whoa. because of the crosswinds, and one of them got killed. And so Whoa. It was not, so this isn't it. You know, this isn't something for wussies. Apparently not. Um, <laughs> there, there was there was a day when it was blowing so hard. I just I wanted to go farther, but I just not, this isn't safe to be on the road. And I'm just mm. it was gusting to sixty miles an hour straight across, and would push you like inadvertently right into the center of the lane and yeah that's how people got hit yeah, and you gotta yeah and you gotta ride kind of counter counterbalance a bit there you gotta ride yeah, into you're kind of leaning into the wind and, and then, then it stops and then it stops or it gets 50 percent more yeah you know? yeah or a truck goes by and oh that'll you know, mess you up yeah semi goes by in the wind 
oh man, it'll stop for that briefest second, and not only that, you get the backdraft from it. Yeah, that's that's bad news. I could, just from because I know similar thing on motorcycle. Oh yeah, right? same. You notice the same yeah. phenomenon where you get pushed by the air that the truck's pushing, and then you're in a vacuum and sucks you back under the wheels of the truck. And... It can be yeah, it can be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I'm, there was um, I was listening to something. I don't remember what, but you know, what is it about? people needing to do difficult things like riding across country on a bicycle that's a difficult thing what is it a, is there something that that you need to do or that people in general need to do to do difficult things in life i don't know i think it's just a challenge of trying to do something difficult like to find out find out what your limits are i um i i wanted to do the north to south and the east to west across the country on a bicycle just because at that speed you absorb so much more mm -hmm. about the terrain and the people you have more time to talk to you talk to a lot more people mm -hmm. you um, uh, see a lot more things at a slow speed or you really absorb what it's like in a certain area that you wouldn't get in a car like all and, the smells yeah yeah very and much yeah the smells and the lighting and all the things that change um, when you're going 15 miles an hour versus 65, you, you just have more time to absorb it all. Um, so it, that's kind of why I wanted to do it. And um, it's like, well, this is an accomplishment thing. You know, you, you can do these things. If you've done this north to south and east to west, probably more people have climbed Mount Everest than have done that. Yeah, so, probably. So it's like, well, okay, that's that's enough. I don't. I don't, I've done my things now. I'd like, uh, I don't need to do any more suffer fest kind of things. I still do other adventures, but that's probably my last, uh, uh, multi-week suffer fest thing that I'm going to do. You know, I, I'll still go to Riggins and back and I'll, you know, do things around Idaho and, um, do climbing and cycling things that are adventurous, but, uh, probably not a month long. And that's probably the end of that. Huh. Yeah, there's, the, I mean, just, I'm just thinking of like the, like people that, like, like you say, climbing Mount Everest, like, you know, when you, like I was, uh, I actually interviewed a guy, um, oh, oh shoot, who, who did a climb from Mount Everest and it was a very dangerous, I mean, it's never easy, but there's, he was telling me like there's actually a line to, there's a, like to get up to, to the top, there's a line, people are, are clipped into uh, a rope and there's a line of like 30 to 50 people waiting in line to get to the top. And then you have to go back on that line and go across all those people because there's just a backlog of people because there's a short window to go and climb Mount Everest. Right. But it's still incredibly difficult and people die all the time on Mount Everest. But that, that kind of, that idea of like just going to climb Mount Everest and then what you have to do to go do it or just pay a lot of money to have a lot of Sherpas help you go do it. But on this, like what you're doing now, this is all you. I mean, you've got to be in phenomenal shape, Jim. Well, you ha yeah, you have to be in good shape. And, and I was, uh, and I've worked at it. Yeah, know, I mean, I, I've seen you right now. You look pretty buff, man. You're looking good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, I lost uh, 15 pounds, I think, uh, in the whole thing. And it's, when you do something like that day after day, it's not so much the weight, it's that your, your body... Uh, rearranges the composition because while you're asleep it says we need this 
we need your vanity protein down here on your legs, you know? You know? <laughs> vanity protein. <laughs> That's a good one. We're like taking that. those. <laughs> we're taking that, you know? And then you wake up one day like, God, my arms are tiny. And the, and <laughs> <laughs> the vanity protein. <laughs> so in this this uh, trip, I mean, um, like, what are, what are your favorite spots? Like, you start in Astoria. I mean, what are you yeah. thinking of when you're starting there in Astoria? Like, you know, what's going through your mind? Oh, well, Astoria, you know, it's, you're at the Pacific Ocean. It's a beautiful place. And yeah. you're, you're going to ride down the old coast highway for a ways and everything. And uh, the, the first of this was great because both my kids rode with me the first day. Um, and so it was great to be able to kick it off with them and mm-hmm. my son stayed with me for five days he he lives in donnelly so we basically he basically rode from the coast to home and then i was on my own from from then on from new meadows and uh, so uh, all the states you know as you go through all the states you you think you know i mean i've lived in the northwest all my life and i've been to oregon lots of times but i saw a lot of oregon that i had no idea existed because of this and um, some of it, I definitely want to ride again. Pieces I want to definitely ride again and pieces I hope I never see again. <laughs> and, and every state had that, you know, every uh, state had its like, man, this is, this is really beautiful and awesome. And, um, and some of it, this like, wow, that's just torture. I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Um, I had some of the best, um, best single day riding you know from time to time that i've ever experienced uh from dubois wyoming to lander uh, my parents grew up in dubois and so uh my mom actually rode with me for 50 miles she's 87 and she rode that day um, oh well so you have a years you come from a bicycle family yeah well kind of yeah she's kind of uh inspirational you know she's still 87 she wanted to ride from the top of Togety Pass down to the home place, and she stuck right with it the whole way. You know, she's like, my dad was trying to get her to get in the car, get in the car. Got enough. He's like, she's like, no, I'm... <laughs> don't tell me what to do. You know, she's like, she's pedaling away. Yeah. Um, so th- you know, that day from Dubois, you know, I ride by the church where my parents were married, and I got a. 15 mile an hour tailwind and it's downhill to lander and i you know you're booking you're, you're yeah you're making 25 miles an hour without working very hard and it's just beautiful it was just a great day and uh i got a similar thing from the in colorado from the fremont county line they just repaved the entire road from there to canyon city so like 50 miles of brand new untouched pavement so brand nice. new lines and downhill with the tailwind it was just like i man i could do that forever it was so fun mm-hmm. you know big flowy corners and it was just, so nice yeah and then yeah, i'm sure you experience the same thing on a motorcycle and you get on a road like that and oh yeah you just yeah uh, you're like i want to turn around yeah yeah turn around do that again yeah yeah there's nothing like fresh blacktop yeah it's so smooth that's so uh, it was great and then when i got to canyon city i stopped at this uh, it was getting dark and I wasn't quite to Canyon City, but there was a little RV park, and I asked these guys in a hot tub there if I could camp there, if they wouldn't throw me out. And they said, no, go ahead and just put 20 bucks in the kitty or whatever. And uh, so I'm throwing out my uh, bivy, and this, there's a guy standing there by a campsite with a beer, and he said, uh, 
you're going to camp right there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty tired. I just rode from, you know, from Pueblo. And he's like, uh, oh, do you get any supper? And I'm like, no. He said, well, you're going to come eat with us then. And he had it. He was a trucker and he and his wife had a, you know, 18 wheeler parked at this uh, RV park and they, uh, invited me over for supper they just like go from one load to the other and they try to arrange it so they're between loads when they're someplace where they can go rafting or do something fun oh yeah and so they were just camping there and they were interested in what i was doing and they never seen these people before in my life and they've treated me like family it was just the kindness was just overwhelmingly good you know it's just uh, another restoration of faith in humanity you know yeah kind of need it no, right. You know, right now we're kind of going through some interesting times here, and no you kind of, you know, people are looking scant at their neighbors, you know, and then you go and do things like this. Yeah, you find out that people are mostly nice, as long as you're not impeding their travel on the highway with your bicycle. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, while you while you're stopped, um, people are interested in what you're doing, and they're like, kind of like. I don't know. It's almost beyond their belief that someone would do that. You know, someone would try to ride all the way across the country in a month. Well, it is. I mean, it, it, that's a that is a I mean, that's a difficult thing. I mean, like you know, we're talking about challenges. Like, uh, I don't want to cast aspersions, but I was thinking about how people. There are people who will have. I just got an email. I work at Washington State University. Just got an email that said, "Okay, we're going to spend like the it's like the twenty 25 club or something like that people who've been at the university 25 years to 50 years and i'm thinking 50 years 50 years with the same employer and i'm like i i and that started to get my head going i wonder if there are people who have done the same job and i know there are people who've done the same job for uh, 50 years or more and i'm like well how how can you do that i mean what do you find in that job to not challenge yourself further to go beyond what you're currently doing. What kind of, where, where are you challenging yourself? And so people, I don't, they, they just don't think to even challenge themselves to do something like this. Yeah, maybe people don't. I mean, I can think of some jobs where, like if you're a farmer and, yeah. and you, every year is different and every year is every a challenge. Every day is and, different. And, yeah. and you're trying to deal with all the changes that go on and never ending and work. to keep up. Yeah. But that's not just like, you know, washing windows or... Oh, yeah, yeah. To do the same repetitive job yeah, uh, yeah. for 50 years would be, I think, would be a soul-sucking thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, do you, you're not interested... Or I suppose some people have... Uh, they do their job and then they want that to be as simplistic as possible so that they can think about other things while they're doing it. And then they have another life yeah. outside their work, you know? Well, you'd um, hope. Yeah, yeah. You would hope that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm sure there are people that just grind in the same rut for 50 years. I don't, I don't know. It seems, it seems not very fulfilling to me. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I everybody's got their own way. Yeah, true. You know, I'm not. I'm like I said, I'm not casting aspersions, but you know, I couldn't see myself doing that. I mean, I've had so many different jobs, and you, like, you've had a very interesting life as well. Like, what was your first job? Oh, my first job. Uh, I rode a horse to my uh, neighbor's place to uh, move sprinkler pipe and uh, fix fence and haul hay, and it was uh, there was a 
pretty large farm about a mile and a half from where I lived and and all the other kids that worked on on farms you know doing that sort of job they all had the honda 50s you know oh yeah my dad <laughs> can i get a motorcycle and i got a job over at dave john's and he's like no there's four <laughs> horses over there go catch one you know so, <laughs> so yeah that was my first job i wrote i rode a horse and uh i definitely remember uh in 1969 when the moon landing occurred and mm -hmm. i'd moved my evening lines it was like 7 30 at night or something and i was riding back across the neighbor's farm and they um mrs swanson came out of the house and waved her apron at me and he said you know they're landing on the moon you gotta come in and see you know and so i tied my horse up to the gate and walked past their wood burning stove and watched the people land on the moon on a black and white tv it's like you know, uh, and that'll that's Im forever embedded in my mind that yeah. that uh, sweep of technology. You know, right. was on a horse, yeah. a wood burning stove, a black and white TV, and then seeing people landing on the moon. Wow! Uh, wow! That, that is forever embedded in my memory. That is quite a switch, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's quite a variety of technologies in the same day. Yeah, and and there's more. Like I think they were even saying, like back when they had like Nokia phones, the first phones that had more processor power than the first uh, lunar module. Yeah, it probably did. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I started out doing farm work, and uh, and I was interested in the meat packing industry, and so I got summer jobs working in packing plants, and you know, a variety of them. Um, and uh, my first experience, uh, my grandfather knew a guy that had a packing plant in Phil South Philadelphia. And he said, if you want to come here and work for summer, my buddy, Tony Bonacurso will let you come here and work and you can, he'll let you work, learn a, a whole bunch of different jobs. So this is, you know, this is like a free ride, you know, full ride scholarship. You know? <laughs> yeah, so true. So I went there and he didn't, he didn't tell me that I would be the only Caucasian, but, um, uh, but I was, and it was, a um, a wonderful experience for me to work where, where I was the only person of a different race in the whole building and, uh, and how, how, uh, very nice those people were to me. I mean, not that there wasn't some kidding about it, you know, and there, oh, well, there was sure. some banter about it, but, um, but they were very nice people to me and, and it, uh, really gave me a good perspective on people of other races that I wouldn't have gotten had I not worked there. And I'm sure a lot of people that grew up in Southern Idaho never see a non-Caucasian person for most of their life. So it was, it was an eye opener for me for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to college and was an animal science major and worked in meat packing industry and, uh, South Central Idaho, and then came back to go to grad school here and never left and bought my own shop and been doing that, been self-employed ever since. So, And how long have you been doing that then? How long have you been self-employed? Uh, since 1988. That's pretty good. That's pretty so. good. Hog heaven sausage, get it now. Yeah, get it while it's hot. 
Can, can you can people buy that like uh, through the internet? Do you have a, a website they can purchase it or? Yeah, well, I had a website, but I wasn't really selling. It was more informational, mm-hmm. and then people were hacking it. You know, like what's oh. this? You know, it would all of a sudden be like a bunch of Japanese porno or something. And like, and I would reset it, and then it would be back in in a couple of weeks. And like, this is not worthwhile for me. So I just yeah, I don't need just that. have a Facebook site, and if you want to. It has my phone number on it, and you can, you can find me on the internet that way. But I'm not trying to do internet marketing, so it's not really important to me to have a too much of a web presence. And you like so basically, your main thing is sausages, isn't it? Isn't that that's because that's yeah. what I see in the stores. Yeah, I make I make 37 different things, but um, the the sausage uh, products are what's really catching on the stores, and um, some stores are better merchandising than others and but it's it's done pretty well but i do i make other things besides that i make bacon and hams and you make smoking. bacon mm-hmm. where do you get your bacon uh, pork bellies i i get my raw bellies from um uh, uh, ibp which is uh, used to be iowa beef packers and then they started doing pork and it's just that their quality is better than everybody else's that's why well, uh, well we at least i need to get to your bacon we I'll hook it. you up. Yeah, need to get some because we go through a lot of bacon. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> in town we usually go to Rosars. The the one at the deli is pretty good. It doesn't you know? It doesn't. It tastes. It has a smoky taste to it, but it doesn't have that that artificial smoky flavor. Yeah, know, yeah. Which can be annoying. But so did you take some of your meats along the way on the trip? I took jerky. Yeah, I did take jerky, and I hoarded it all the way. I ended up. I I made it all the way to Virginia with like a didn't. Yeah, with a little bit, you know, with like two pieces left over, like to eat when I got to Virginia. Oh, like a little celebration. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's great. It's mine. Yeah, I'm not in it. You know, and it was kind of a. you know, shelf life stability test too. If it can make it in your backpack mm. all the way across without molding, then it must be pretty good. You know, it must be must have got a pretty good scald on it. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> and no problem. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. So how? So you went all the way across into to Virginia, and then so how'd you get back? Did you didn't bicycle back? No, I I flew back. Uh, I didn't have another thirty days to to do that. Plus, um, uh, I was. That's enough bike riding for one summer, you know, mm-hmm. 4,300 miles is far enough for one summer for, in one sitting. So, um, yeah, I, um, used bike flights to send my bike back in a box. And What's it bike flights? Yeah. There's a company called bike flights that specializes really? in hauling people's bikes on airplanes. It's like way really? less than half of what you pay UPS to haul it or bike flights. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that blows me away. I just love entrepreneurship like that. Like, you know what we need? You know what's really missing? <laughs> Somehow to get your 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 bike from here to there. Well, you have all these people doing these um, cross country things, and and they have no way to get their stuff home, and it's ridiculously expensive, or it's it's such a hassle to try and take it on an airplane as baggage, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, it just evolved from that. It's an Oregon company that does it. That's um, and they they they've come up with some um, 
some sort of a deal with one of the major carriers, one of the major freight carriers to do this because they know they're going to get a bunch of them and they're all going to be uniform. They have standards that you have to box them in a certain way. And um, so they know what to expect and they're all uniform and they can stack up a container of them or, you know, they, they figure out a way and um, to do it way less expensively than sending it regular mail or regular freight. And it worked out great. You don't have to UPS it. You just go bike flights. Yeah. How'd you find that? I mean, it's like. Well, my son works for Pivot Bicycles. So ah. he, he was a wealth of information on all these things in terms of uh, gear and logistics because he's sending bicycles all over the world all the time. So he knows. And Pivot. And outs. Pivot's a brand name for a bicycle? Yeah, yeah. They're out of Phoenix. They're like real high-end mountain bikes. Ah. Um. Yeah, way, way out of my price range. <laughs> so, um, but he's worked there for quite a while. He and his wife both worked for him, and they were on the road for four years going to every mountain bike park in North America demonstrating these bikes or letting people ride them, and, and they're growing exponentially. And So it's, it's, uh, it's been a good career for him. Wow, so you really are. I mean, you've created a, a bicycle family too. Does your wife ride bike as well? Yeah, she will, but she's more of a fair weather. Like, nah, you know, I'll ride that. down to the store or you go to Pullman maybe, but that's about it, you know? Yeah. She's not really too keen. Oh, I can get her to ride a tandem to down to Uniontown to the bakery. Well, that's worth you know? going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, what, what is it about bicycling? Because you're... you're you're, obviously, your mother is a bicyclist. Is your dad a bicyclist? No, like, like he, he's so you caught it from your mom. Yeah. Do you know if your your grand her her? Oh, uh, I have a I have a picture uh, in my basement. I have a like a wall of pictures, and the the one at the top is my great grandfather with his first bicycle, and uh, and then myself with mine, and uh, my mom and I riding mountain bikes in Mongolia and you know, tour divide and, and all these things that, that we've done cycling, but you know, the whole, um, self-propelled lateral acceleration that <laughs> has a, you know, gives you a certain joy that it's difficult to replace, you know, I suppose you can get it from anything like rollerblading or, you know, get the same thing from that or, uh, longboarding. I get the same thing from that, but you can't do it for all day. Yeah. True. And there's not much like, coasting in that either yeah yeah so um yeah that's what it is it's the it's the joy of self-propelled lateral acceleration that and it's it's a real thing you know i don't know if you've ever heard of this guy slow-mo that's uh he was, hmm. used to be a neurosurgeon and he slow-mo that's like that's like you know for video yeah but he's like uh he used to be a neurosurgeon and he lives down in santa monica and he skates on the pier every day and he's just like really slow. I mean, he's like got one leg up in the air. And he's just gliding along and he just continues to do that. And so roller skating. He's yeah. Skating. On, okay. He's got really nice roller blades and people think he's a homeless person and wonder where he got those really nice <laughs> skates. And, but he's actually quite well to do, but he's retired from that. And, and, uh, he's, you know, figured out that there's a little bone in your inner ear that lifts up. And when you're accelerating, laterally across the earth that makes you feel good and so that's what he decided to do he didn't he was all stressed out and he did now he just does that 
There's a YouTube video you should watch that you of slow mo. Like. Yeah. Okay. Slow mo the 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 skater. Uh huh. And he's this is in California, right? Santa Monica. That's a lovely part of the world. So you're so you're uh, do do you have you have a son and a daughter, right? Right. Okay. And does your daughter bicycle? Oh yeah. Okay, so they both bicycle. Yeah, my daughter's been here for. Well, she works for Remote Medical International, and so she's traveling all over the world all the time. But she's been home for here for about uh, the last week, and so we've gotten to ride every day. It's been. Great. When you say home, you mean your home, not yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Come to visit. Yeah. Between she's in between jobs, you know. She'd be in. Now she's in Seattle for a couple of days, and then San Diego for a week, and then back to Seattle, and then who knows where. They send her to teach people on the Google yacht how to do first aid and life-saving skills. Oh, cool. Like that. Well, that's a great job. Very, you'd think that'd be very fulfilling and frustrating all at the same time. Yeah. But, but it's been good from a travel standpoint. I think she's been on every continent except Antarctica. Oh, wow. Because it, yeah, and you only want to go there, you know, on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> Not accidentally. <laughs> sure. So you just said that you, where else have you bicycled? You bicycle across the North North America, basically. Yeah, yeah, both directions. Actually. Both directions. <laughs> and then you just, you just to let loose that you bicycled in Mongolia? Yeah, and that was my mom's deal. She, she used to do these bike tours in Europe and all around and, and this one came up that they were trying to start this mountain biking. These people she knew were trying to start this mountain biking uh, establishment kind of thing in Mongolia because uh, it's really pretty there and there's no people and the trails are really good and it's not crowded. So why wouldn't this work, you know? <laughs> so she said, well, I'll be, you know, that'll be great. And, and she was trying to find somebody to go with her and people were terrified of going to outer mongolia to ride i was like, i'll go that sounds sounds like something right up my alley and uh wow what a you know what a place it's like it's time travel you know it's uh it's what montana was 200 years ago hmm. all these people living the nomadic lifestyle and you can drink the water off the ground anywhere it's clean and um uh, there's a huge lake there lake ofsgall it's probably maybe four times as big as Lake Ponderay hmm. and there's maybe two boats on it. Hmm. And, uh, I took a little fishing rig and you catch a fish every cast. It's wow. Just, it's amazing. It's an amazing place. I'd definitely go there again, but and not, you, but not climb the mountain. Stay away from Mount Everest. Well, Mount Everest. I, yeah. I don't really want to look at a bunch of dead bodies and oxygen bottles. Oh, that's, oh, geez, yeah. that's not my thing. You know, that's, uh, yeah, they've uh, got a poop problem there now. Yeah, they do. Oof. Yeah. Can't think of that. Well, yeah, I don't stay away from that. I like, I like mountains that you can go on where you don't see dead bodies. And I'd rather climb Grand Teton and Gannett and Bora and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you mountain climber as well? You climb mountains? Yeah, like I like that? to climb. Well, you're a pretty physically active guy. For an older guy, yeah. yeah. Well, I think in general, I mean, there's, I mean, I, I'm like Elise is a big hiker. My so she just goes like last weekend she went hiking. She loves going to the Wallawas. 
Um, and, uh, and I'm just like, uh, that's okay. I'm, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I'm not a big fan of sleeping on the ground. <laughs> you know, I don't, I like, I like the solitude. I like being in the solitude. I like, I like that. I like the, the, I like being in nature. That's all great. I don't like getting to be getting in nature and sleeping on the ground. And I'm even okay with the bad food. It's the, <laughs> you know, it's the whole everything else that goes along with it. You want the rest of the suffer fest to get there. <laughs> yeah, the suffer fest. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Suffer fest. Suffer fest 2018. Yeah. 30, like a, was it a 3,000 mile trip across? 4,300. Yeah. So a little more than 3,000. A long ways. You talk about the Wallows. I like to go there in the winter and ski, you know, I like backcountry ski there a lot. You know, she, um, a friend of hers has hiked all over the world, literally. And she was talking to her like, you know, where have, would you like to go? Where do you think is the prettiest place to go uh, hiking? And she goes, well, the, the Wallows are just stunning. You've got so much variety mm-hmm. and just to, to what you can do there and what you can see there is unparalleled. No, I think it's like a um, kind of a scaled down Grand Teton Park. Hmm. That's how I look, view that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like not quite on that same scale, but it's it's got everything that Teton Park has. I don't know, you know? about Teton Park. I know yeah. nothing about this. Grand Grand Teton National Park out of Jackson Hole. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it, but I don't know much about it. I couldn't tell yeah. you. Well, it's just the the mountain range is so spectacular, huh. and, and uh, the variety of lakes and places you can hike and everything is fabulous. And it, the Wallows remind me a lot of it, but it's just on a smaller scale. No, just as pretty. Wallows huh. are, yeah. So, is it? Where is it, do you have another bicycle? Like, is there like something that, like you said, you th- you think you've done your last suffer fest? Yeah, but, you know, never last, say never. That's the last one where I inflict pain on the rest of my family, wondering if I'm going to survive. It or oh, not, you know? like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right, okay. So, but is there one that maybe you you wanted to do, or? Oh, there. Yeah, there's a number there. of um, rides I want to do. Uh, there's. Uh, there's been a trail finished from San Diego to the tip of Baja. And I think that would be a good ride, you know, to, that's a nice for yeah. to not do in a hurry, you know, cause you'd be close to a beach all the time. And it would be, I think that would be a great one to do. Nice seafood along the way. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that'd be a fun one. Um, there's, there's a trail that goes all the way across Canada. Now a bicycle path that goes all the way across really? Canada. Well, you'd have to do that in the summer. Well, yeah, yeah, very definitely. But um, and and that's that's one I'd want to do, like not at a feverish pace. <laughs> you know, I'd want to yeah. do that hundred miles or less a day. You know, so it's so you have time to really soak it up and not get neuropathy in your hands and feet and stuff like that. <laughs> you were saying that. Uh, 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 like you came in, I've got a couple of dogs and they're sniffing you and you're saying you had a, a bad thing with a dog. Tell me about what happened there. Oh, in, in Kentucky, like, dogs run out from under porches and chase you, you know, and, and a lot of them, well, Missouri, Kentucky, and somewhat in Virginia, but um, they're, most of those dogs are just bored and they just want to run along, but there's some mean ones that are trying to bite you, you know, and uh, in Kentucky, and I was warned about that and I had bear spray 
in case you know when dogs are chasing you and you can tell they're malicious you can pepper spray them and they'll leave you alone oh yeah but uh i was just standing by the side of the road looking at my map and uh there was a guy across the road i wasn't even on his side of the road and he said said you know uh there's a place where you guys on bikes can camp just over the next hill and there's water and stuff and i said no thank you and he had a dog an australian shepherd with him there and i went and looked back at my map and a couple seconds later the dog is gnawing on my calf you know like uh, i'm not bothering you what do you and then he ran back across the road and and i'm bleeding and <laughs> i said you know what's the deal with your dog here bud you know i can't you better get a hold of him or i'm gonna mace him and cut his throat i'm not i've i've already got 130 miles on and i'm not really in a good mood for this and he's like uh okay so he gets a hold of his dog and i can see it has tags on it and he so i'm sure it's had its shots and you hope yeah. and uh um he said it's that is that a bad bite and i said well i i think it's okay i got antibiotics and stuff i'll deal with it but i'm leaving right now before i kill your dog because yeah i'm really angry but <laughs> but that uh, you know one of the experiences i had was uh these dogs came out and were running along with me and the one there was three dogs and the one in the front had only one front leg and he was like faster than the other dogs and happier he like had you know like he was he was really enjoying you know having somebody to run along with and he was just having a great time and he kept looking up at me and grin you know like this is if great. dogs can grin he was just having a yeah. ball on this and none of the other dogs keep up and i i took away from that like you know why can't people be like that just like accept their situation and do the best they can you know like he didn't say oh like I am entitled to four legs and I'm just going to sit under the porch until somebody gives me a transplant. He was like, you know, I'm making the best of it. And yeah, I thought that was like, I've thought about that a lot of times since I've been back. Like you whiner, that dog with three legs was like happy. And, and you're like getting pissed off because somebody cut you off at a light or something. You know, right. you know? yeah. You know, don't do that. So, yeah. Wow, yeah, the joys of life from the, the perspective of a dog. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah. Yeah, three-legged dogs. Uh, what an adventure. I mean, just to go across the United States like that on, on a bicycle. Like, how many flats do you get? I had four flats. I, that's pretty I, good. That's, yeah. that's the, like, I think I take out my bike and every time I go, I get a flat. Yeah. <laughs> Tire technology has come a long way. Um, <laughs> tires with Kevlar liners and help a lot. They they don't they won't stop those little wires that are in steel belted radials. You know when, it's, when a tire comes uh, apart and those mm -hmm. little bits on the side of the road, mm -hmm. those little needles will go through anything. Mm, but yeah, so three out of the four flats I had were from those. Really, from bad tire parts like yeah, flying just, off. Yeah, and you can't really see them all. There'd be you know right somebody had a blowout and. Yeah, you know, truck tires come apart and all those little bits are on the side of the road. Don't mm -hmm. run over those. <laughs> um, so I rode the same tires the whole way. I, one set of tires the full time and um, the the driver's flat on top, you know, it's but it's not down to the Kevlar. So 
um, tire technologies. I don't. Twenty years ago, I don't think you could do that. I think the technology of rubber compounds wasn't that good, and you'd wear out a tire in thousand miles. Yeah, I think uh, you know when I was a just thinking about back to when I was a kid and have to always repair my tires, and it was always like the what, what I know as goat head thorns. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, those are nasty. They, yeah. So the Kevlar those, will prevent. You know, it will. Oh really? That'll stop those. So I, I'm sure that helped a lot, you know, with little pointy things that weren't, <laughs> you know, weren't needles going through. Um, and I didn't, I only had four flats and I thought, you know, flat every thousand, that's pretty good, you know? I think so. Yeah. It's, they were all, you know, at times when it was like inopportune, when it was raining or you know, when the wind was blowing 50 miles an hour or something like that. There was always, I think all four of them were. The gods were not, challenging you. Yeah, like, let's see you change a tire in this. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't light the rain? Huh? Yeah. Oh, it's dark and raining? Yeah, have a flat tire. Sucker. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, do you, so you just pull off the side and fix it and move on? Yeah, that's all you can do. And I, you know, I tried to keep two spare tubes all the time, but uh, I, I was out of spare tubes. I was down to my last tube when I got to Dillon, Montana, and I thought, this will be, Dillon, Montana is a college town. I mean, they'll have a bike shop. I'll get it. I'll get some tubes here. And I rode into Dillon and I met this gal riding out for was a it, ride this wasn't on your last trip yeah on this trip in, in you went June. through dillon montana yeah it goes from uh, it's kind of a convoluted route it doesn't go straight across the united huh? states it goes um so you go across oregon and then idaho you cross it cross the snake river at brownlee and then uh riggins you go over highway 12 and then up the bitter route and over lost trail pass and Lost Trail Pass down to Jackson, Wisdom, Dillon, and then up to uh, Virginia City through Yellowstone, Yellowstone Park. And oh, okay. And then you kind of come more down. Then, then you, you come, come down to Jackson Hole. And you there. go through Kansas and then or Okay. Okay. So okay. You, yeah. Wyoming. It's Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas. Okay. Okay. And then so what, what, what so you uh, give me the other, so you then Kansas and then? Kansas and then Missouri then uh illinois and then kentucky okay so it doesn't take much more of a securitous route securitous yeah once you get to kansas it's it's going pretty much straight east okay okay you don't get the whoever designed that route from adventure cycling was trying to you know show you as much of the united states you know variety as possible so you get get the oregon coast and you get the mountains and you get yellowstone park and teton park and Wyoming, Colorado, all kinds of Colorado, <laughs> eleven thousand foot Colorado, and flat in one hundred five. Man, Colorado is such a uh, diverse state. Yeah, it has every kind of terrain. Man. Yeah, from the high, high mountains to but this desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like wow, they're going along a road, and there's just like you know, just a part of a mountain hanging out there. You know, and then the distance, always mountain. 
But you're saying you're in Dillon, Montana. Yeah, and I, I didn't have, I was trying to get a spare tube and I met this gal that was out for a ride and I said, where's the bike shop in town? And she's like, sorry, no bike shop in Dillon, Montana. I'm like, you're kidding me. I guess college town, like, where do you get your tubes? And she said, I go to Idaho Falls with them. Ah. And <laughs> to get stuff. And anyway, she gave me a tube, her spare tube, you know, another example of. And this was somebody on the route? Or, yeah, it was uh, somebody that was just riding out for a day ride. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And she's like, here, have mine. And I'm like, oh, I'll happy pay you for it. And she's like, no, I'll just take it. You know, it's like another example of kindness along the way. Yeah. And I'm, um, I was down to, in, uh, I guess it was in Virginia. I was down to my last tube and I just stopped in Burkeville because I needed a place where I could get a pool of water to fix one. Mm-hmm. So I had one spare in case it, I had a flat at night that I didn't have to patch. And, um, uh, and then I found some tubes in the next town, St. Charles City, I think. And so I was good to the end then. <laughs> the, the, and uh, hopefully the last one would be decent weather. Well, you're in Virginia already, so you didn't have yeah. much further, but you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I had one flat there. So it's certainly possible. They have truck tires come apart there too. <laughs> yeah, that delamination. So, like, Elise, my wife, and she's had many interesting jobs, and one of them was she used to work in a tire store. And what they do is with those tires, they they basically, it's, uh, I'm not exactly sure how this goes, but they basically, just the middle part of it, they resurface it kind of. They put on new rubber on that. Yeah, Yeah, they recap it. And so that's why those parts kind of fly off, and they can just get another tire and just do it again. So that's why you always see those parts of tire on the road. Like why don't why don't you just get you know something better? <laughs> There's got to be something better because obviously that's not working. Yeah, trailer well. tires, recap trailer tires last a long time though. I mean they get a lot of mileage out of them. They cost half as much. So well, that's true. That's true. Uh, not good for cyclists. <laughs> So was your your health fine the whole way? Yeah, I had uh, yeah. The motor ran fine all the way. I never got sick. I never felt bad. I never, I never had a day when I didn't want to get up and go. You know, I, I, your calves never, were fine, and yeah, I never, I never had any um, leg problems at all. And you know, I didn't. Um, it just, it was kind of a reaffirmation of my everyday fitness program. This, you know, this is good enough. Well, what do you do to keep it fit? I, well, I ride obviously quite a bit and I do a lot of stairs and run some, don't run a lot, but some, but mix it up and just, you know, at least five days a week. Lift weights or? Yeah, do some lifting too. Got a home gym or do you go? Well, I do, I have a membership, but I do have weights at home. I prefer to like have my own set up for that. Yeah. Do it whenever you want to. Have, yeah. So it doesn't take, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be exercising 10 hours a day all the time to be fit enough to do so. Yeah. Because once you, once you get in that groove where you're going every day, you toughen up 
after a while. I mean, that's, you know, that nuts. That's also going to take a lot of mental strength as well. Yeah, I think the mental part is probably at least as uh, difficult as the physical part of it to to get in the in the idea in the groove that you're going to get up and do this every day, and there's not going to be any days off, and you're going to deal with whatever obstacles you have to get over. You're just going to deal with them. You're going to be the three-legged dog, you know? Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, 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 I wish I had that memory to share with you. That would be cool. I'm going to be the three-legged dog. Mm -hmm. Be the three-legged dog. That's a, that's a cool mantra. Were there times when you just, like, wanted to quit? No, you just said that. No, you, I you never, never did. did. I, you know, right. and I've, I've been around people writing that say, you know, this on Tour Divide especially where I've met people along the way, and ride with them for a few days and they're like i just think i'm done i just i just can't do this anymore i'm just not i just don't have the gumption for it anymore mm -hmm. and they would they would bail out and it was it was mental they could physically have done it but mm -hmm. they were just tired of pushing for 10 hours a day every day and didn't want to do it anymore so when i can understand that everybody's got their limit you know i'm not going to do the 20 hours a day thing and be oblivious to neuropathy in my hands and feet to just to get there a few days sooner. I, did. I got my priorities. I can't, if my fingers don't work. I can't play the guitar and I don't, that's kind of important to me too. So Yeah. But it, um, it is a big adventure to, to take on and, I wouldn't discourage anybody from doing it. I'd say, yeah, go take a whack at it. The road's always there. When when you're sitting there and you're trying to think of like a, like the the trip to take, what what kind of um for, what do you plan for when you're looking at the map? Do you have to you kind of go, okay, well, I'll probably make it to here on a certain day, or yeah, but really long trips like that, you. You can't plan very far ahead because you don't know what you're going to get for weather. You don't know what you're going to get for mechanical problems. You don't know health problems. Any all these things can happen. So you can you can't plan very far ahead. You have to like plan day to day. Mm. You have to, and that that's another aspect of it that makes it mentally hard. Is that you don't know you don't know where your next food is, and you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight. So you have to figure that out every day, like. Okay, today, the first day was great. You know, we got 160 miles in and everything was good and made it over the pass and through the snow and all that and it was good. And, and okay, now we're going to get tomorrow. And then maybe something happens like you you have a couple flats and um, chain breaks or, you know, you, you can have some kind of mechanical thing that slows you down for a couple hours. And you'd like to make it to such and such a town, but it's going to be dark, you know. So you, you're going to ride in the dark for two hours or you're going to, you have to make those decisions day to day. Because you just don't, you just don't know what to expect. So what was the hardest part of it mentally? Was that, was on your, on this 30 days, was there a day where you're just like, man, this is a, this is a tough one? Um, well, Kansas with the 40 mile an hour crosswinds and 105. I was like, man, this is this is hard, you know. This is this will wear you down after a little bit. So you're gonna have to 
And that was the day that I it was blowing 40 with the 60 mile an hour gusts. I'm like, this isn't safe to be on the road. You should just rest a little bit today and get <laughs> off early and stop at 120 and, you know, not push it. Because you're not going to go anywhere if you're dead. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of want to be there for the trip. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to be there for the rest of the trip. And there, there was, um, uh, you know, I, I guess it kind of got a little um, frustrating, I guess, in uh, in uh, eastern Kentucky when it was pouring down rain and you're going up and down from one hollow to the next and it's it's windy and steep and you're holding up traffic and it's pouring rain and, you know, it's just like, well, you just have to suck it up. You just have to keep going because it'll get better. You know, this ain't going to last forever. You're going to, you knew there was going to be some of this weather. You know, you were going to get it. You, you're not going to go a month across the country without getting all kinds of weather. So, mm -hmm. but you know, it wears you down a little bit, but you just have to say, I'm going to suck it up. I made up my mind. I'm going to do this. And I'm too close to the end now to <laughs> more than halfway through. Yeah. Way more than halfway. So I'm certainly not going to give it up now. Then uh, the uh, it, it, well, is it warm weather when it was raining or? Yeah, it was warm enough that hypothermia wasn't an issue. Yeah, it was well, you know, it might have been if I didn't have rain gear, but you know, since I had good rain gear that was pretty well road tested, and you know, Gore-Tex stuff and breathable, and I had shoe covers so my feet weren't soaked all the time. Mm -hmm. and so I I was fairly comfortable in the rain. Relative to some other people I might have seen, mm -hmm. so it was it wasn't that being prepared for it. There's there's really no bad weather. There's just inappropriate clothing, <laughs> right? You know, it's like a, <laughs> uh, the, one of the lessons you learn is it's okay to be wet and it's okay to be cold, but if you're wet and cold, you got trouble. Yeah, as long as you weren't that <laughs> either of those things, you're you're yeah. doing okay. Hypothermia is not something you aspire to at all. You know, no. Yeah, there were people on the tour divide when I did it that, you know, ended up with hypothermia and had to push the panic button on their satellite tracker to have the helicopter come and get them. Ooh. Yeah, was that something? Because that, that's something that I just got that I wish I would have had years ago, and that is the life flight uh, uh, yeah, insurance because yeah. it is incredibly expensive. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's... Well, the insurance is incredibly cheap, really. It is. Yeah. It's like but 50 bucks a The helicopter ride's really expensive. Yeah, I think, it, well... Um, it's, uh, like 30 grand is pretty much just a baseline. Yeah. They, they really, and they have you, I mean, you're, you're at their mercy. I mean, I go, uh, to the Kokanee Glacier, me and my kids have gone up there skiing, uh, for like more than a decade, every, every winter. And we hire a helicopter to fly 12 of us in for a week and then come get all the gear on the way out and it costs us like $700 a person. So helicopters aren't really that expensive to operate, but when they, when you're in a critical situation like that, an emergency situation, man, they, yep. They ramp it up right by the cojones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's that it's especially when you live in a rural area because there's a lot of people 
that have to go from here in Moscow, go up to Spokane and they get life lighted to there. So, because I mean, it's a, you know, bigger area of people, the hospitals with, uh, better doctors, et cetera, you know, the more technology, I don't know what, what the big difference is, but I mean, there's people who can take care of your, you know, yeah, trauma centers and trauma centers. Uh, yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. And cardiac units and, you know, where they have a lot of cardiologists and, um, critical care kind of stuff, you know, yeah. bigger population centers have more people that need critical care. So they have better. Is that something you have or did you, did yeah, you have I have, like, I have, uh, well, I have, I carry a satellite tracker that has insurance that goes with it that will rescue oh, me right. anywhere in the world. So, right. um, I just, it's well worth it. You know, yeah. I think you, you get in a jam someplace and with a broken leg out in the middle of nowhere and come uh, get me. Yeah. The guy that had his arm under the rock and oh, the 127 in, hours. No, is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the guy that had to cut his own arm off. You yeah, know, he could yeah. have gotten out of that if he'd had the satellite tracker. So yeah, and that's that's and it's not really all that expensive. No, it isn't. I think it's a couple hundred dollars to for something that and all of that, but you have it until you use it. Yeah, yeah. And you've got as soon as you spend that money, you you, you don't have to re up. Yeah, well, I kind of do. You have to pay every year, but oh, you do. Yeah, it's a subscription oh. thing. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. In order for it to work, you got to pay it. Pay okay. a subscription every year, but but I think it's cheap insurance. You know. And, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, a couple hundred dollars. That's that might cover. I mean, if you think about what it is for healthcare for any any issue, medical issue you might have, a couple hundred dollars might be a prescription. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one office visit or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. if that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it costs so, just to go for a, a checkup. Yeah. A couple hundred bucks. So when you're going, we talked about bad trips, but I mean, then you talked about this happy dog. With other times, you're like, man, this is a good day. I could do this. I could keep going. Oh, go yeah. Go around yeah. the world. Oh, yeah. There were, you know, the from, I don't know if we talked about that, but from the Fremont County line in Colorado to Canyon City, it was all brand all new brand pavement new yeah you know yeah you could i could do that all day you know or all month you know i could continue to do that for it was just the greatest it was just it's like uh i don't know if you're a skier or not but fresh, yeah. it was mm-hmm. like a fresh powder day you know it was like, oh yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, right you can, it is like a fresh powder day i can see that yeah sunshiny fresh powder day you can just snowbird I powder could, day yeah do as many laps of that as possible you know? <laughs> how fast will the ski lift get me up yeah there? no doubt so you know i don't i'm not a bicyclist so what would you like how would how would you say tom here's what you need to get it going to to go and do something like this just start bicycling every day or yeah i'm not sure you really want to start out aspiring to do that i think you just want to like get a bicycle that feels good that fits you and go out and ride and feel the joy of lateral acceleration between here and Pullman and Troy and and then you'll like it will grow on you you know like I want to go farther than this and you'll pick a pick a destination I wonder if I can make it to Walla Walla and do some wine tasting you know and you'll pick out something it's, I think it's just a natural thing that people want to, once they start to do something, they just, they get bored with it at certain level and want to mm-hmm. ramp it up a little bit automatically. And mm-hmm. you don't have mm-hmm. to 
you don't really even have to push that. You, it just kind of automatically happens, I think. Mm-hmm. You just like, yeah, I've done that. Um, maybe I should go a little further just to see if I can, you know. I think that's a natural human urge. I think that's probably why people inhabit every continent because somebody said, I'm going to see if I can get there and back without, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And then you find friends along the way are like, yeah, come on, we're going to go down. We're going to take this trip to, you know, uh, we're going to go up to Seattle from here. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Oh, come on. Come on. We'll, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be at the whole group. I don't know. Okay, I'll go. And then they push you along and nudge yeah. you. Yeah, that's kind of how I got started in this more long distance stuff because I had some friends that were doing pieces of the Great Divide route. And they said, hey, come ride with us. And, you know, we're just, we're doing like 50 miles a day and we got support deal with food and everything. And we're just going to ride. Makes this. it sound easy. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to ride this piece from like uh, uh, Lincoln, Montana to uh, Helena or something like that. Or mm-hmm. we're going to do the, it's, it's a couple hundred miles. We're going to do it in five days and just have a good time and see the sights. And so I started doing that with them. And then you'd meet these people that are doing the whole thing. And it's like kind of, they're kind of inspirational. Like, really, you're doing this and this is all the gear you have. And that might, that'd be quite challenging to do that. I might want to try that. You know, you know think about it. That's actually kind of, it's inexpensive travel too. Well, yeah, it is inexpensive. I mean, for, if you think about uh, what, like a plane t- ticket to go across the United States, that's probably going to cost you, what, close to a grand. Yeah, I think I got home on. 600 bucks but um well yeah, yeah. that's and that's one way yeah one way so how much like what does it cost if like if you looked at your bicycle and the gear that you took on this trip about what what would you say like money wise you've got invested in it in the whole in the gear and everything yeah um, like uh, like you look at your I, bike as before you left or as you left astoria i've got about oh yeah well so you gotta you know um Maybe it, you got a $2,000 bike and uh, maybe $500 worth of bags and gear and stuff on it and tools and whatnot, clothes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, way less than a car, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, so, so you don't, and you don't have to have buy gas along the way. You don't have to buy gas, but, well, the few, motor does take gas. Right. The motor the makes engines. its own gas, but it, <laughs> Good thing <laughs> but you're on you a bike. So but yeah. you got to put beans in there. You know I mean? <laughs> so I, you probably spend more. Obviously, you'll spend way more on food crossing the country on your own steam than you would riding in a car, but you spend way less on fuel, that's for sure. So so you think maybe, what, five grand with a or too much? For the whole trip? No, like oh. like your bike the for the the bike and your equipment, you say like two thousand in a bike. To me, that's a really expensive bicycle. Yeah, and I, and I didn't. Um, that's how much my the bicycle I rode would have would have cost if I'd paid full retail for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think I got twelve hundred bucks in it. And, okay, and then the bags and a lot of the gear you're going to have any rain gear you're going to have anyway for other pursuits. You know, it's not just. You're not just. It's not specific. specific. Yeah, uh-huh. the tools are kind of specific, mm. and, uh, and the bags are lightweight bags to carry things on your bike are kind of 
that's kind of bike specific. But you, you know, you maybe get, like I said, 500 bucks and all that. So let's say you got two grand in the, in the rig and, um, and then you're spending on food and everything, you know, maybe and lodging. If I stayed in hotels, maybe a third of the time. So you maybe got 50 bucks a day, something like that. Hmm. Um, I think that's about right. I think I spent about fifteen hundred bucks. But you didn't just go out and buy a bike and buy all this stuff at once. It's no, a, it's all it's accumulated been, over time. Right, right, right. It didn't. Um, yeah, it would it would it would seem a lot more daunting from a financial um, aspect if you did if you were like, oh, I don't know anything about cycling, but I'm just going to go to the bike shop and have them build me right. what you know the yeah. optimal thing. Hey, tomorrow I'm going on a trip. <laughs> yeah, it would get real spendy then. It'd be like yeah. Yeah, front end loaded like skydiving. That's a there's a sport with that's pretty heavy front end loaded for parachutes and stuff like that. But but it's not um, and it's not convenient around here. So yeah, skydiving. A of, yeah, a lot of travel involved to do that. So I think the nearest place is Davenport or something that you can. Huh. Huh, have you ever have, have you i've never skydived yeah i've done that so dude you're, you're an fun. adventurist i didn't i didn't i there's very little i know about you jim the more i talk to you I'm like man there's little nuggets that keep popping out here it's kind of a you know like uh i i think i have maybe a higher risk tolerance than most people mm. and so i'll want to do these other things but it was that was the thing i wanted to do how's your beer ago. you want another beer i'm i'm good i think i got well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop another top here. Shouldn't we be doing an ad or something? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Whitmer Green and Gold Kolsch. Yeah, you know pop uh, one today. Well, I just saw today uh, on Twitter for how uh, how accurate that might be, but they said it was the the four hundredth. Brewery just opened in Washington. No kidding. Yeah, like in uh, uh, Bremerton. No, uh, is it something like that? It's kind of like uh, four hundred pizza joints back in the sixties. <laughs> you know, when yeah. hey, there's profit in this. Everybody wanted one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm happy for it. But it took like so. What it took? Uh, so this is 2018. When did Carter sign that thing in like in seventy eight? Seventy wasn't he wasn't he president seventy six to eighty? Yeah, it was right in there. Yeah. yeah. Well he signed like, okay, you can brew your own beer, make your own wine for a certain amount. So it took uh was it uh twenty four, thirty forty years? Forty huh? years, yeah. Forty to get more. it to be what it is today and still growing. I mean, like uh, here, there's a what's that one out uh, on the uh, airport road? There's a distillery. Oh yeah, yeah out there. Yeah, we've got how many? Like in Moscow, Poland, we've got one, two, three, four, five. At least five. Yeah, we have beer making establishments. Three within stumbling distance. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Sure. Yeah. North Moscow's. Turn it into the liquid district. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, I think there was actually there were plans for another one there somewhere too. Uh, I don't know where. There, yeah, down that road. Uh, there's a. I don't know though that that road. The uh, is that Almond? Mm-hmm. Down Almond Way. There's supposed to. Some guy was talking about how he's going to make a, a, do a brewery down that road a bit ways. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if that old. Um... You know where Duma Seed was, where that uh, the, all the brickwork's still there, where they tore down all the elevators and everything. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They're going to build like um, multi multi unit, some kind of multi unit thing, but they want to leave that brickwork there, and I'm pretty sure that that would make an excellent place for you know a brew pub tap room kind yeah. of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it not only that, but I, you know, kind of like uh, like how many guys were sitting there at home. You know, when just thinking, thinking about like the, the 70s where there's a guy going, man, I've been brewing beer illegally for a long time. I wonder, you know, I wonder if anybody else, you know, all my friends sure like this stuff. And then it's just like, look at the variety of beer that we have today. It's just, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it is. How, yeah, it's. When I was a. It's like wine, you know, it used to be wine. Oh. It's like you know, all these different varieties of wine. And, yeah. and, and now beer is the same way. There's so many different. Varieties. It's a lot better than when I was in high school, and me and my buddies made Crestmont Lager in a garbage can in the attic of my parents' old farmhouse. Like it was uh, made Crestmont Lager. Yeah, that's what we called it. It was just like we had yeast and water and sugar, and we made we made this really t- shitty tasting beer, but it was beer and it had alcohol, and we put it in gallon jugs and took it to the drive-in movie, and it was a big seller. You know? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, like, you know, uh, when I was getting beer before I was 21, uh, yeah, I know it's illegal, but the, the, um, the, the, the big beer that came out when I was a kid was uh, Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah. It's like, man, that's really good beer. And you try it now, you're like, man, that's really bad beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's really ordinary beer. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, some, and then you've got new, the things like sours and all that. Did, were there, did did you hit any breweries along the way? Now we're talking about it, like you know, on this long trip. Did oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of towns have breweries, and 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 it was I was really thwarted, and I even forgotten that there were dry counties in Kentucky. Oh, you know, yeah. I get to a town I'm like I can hardly wait to get to Berea because I don't get a beer. And then there was like, nope, sorry, you got to go thirty miles north to get a beer, like. Dry. There was. That's I sad. Stayed in a couple of towns that were dry. You know, like you, there was no beer in the store, and there's like, how come you guys don't have beer? Well, it's not legal here. Like, really? You don't have any? Yeah. No alcohol at all. It's like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the edge of the South there. That's uh, people are still fighting the Civil War, and it's there's. There were roads I went down where everything on the southern side of the road had a Confederate flag on it and everything on the other side had a Union flag. And Really? And then there would be a sign in the yard that said, just be kind. <laughs> <laughs> After this row of, you know, all these people are obviously still... Hatfield and McCoy. Yeah, they're just like, you know, I don't Confederacy versus... They're still, still? Yeah, they still got the... After a hundred years... Yeah, way more than a hundred years, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the 
the animosity that still goes on with that, and that's why people kneel at football games during the national anthem because that's still going on. Yeah, it's still that oppression still going on, and it's pretty obvious when you slowly go through those areas. You can see that people are being still being held down. Huh. You know, I and I wonder if this is like a. Do you, do you think that it's because that we are in the Northwest where we don't have, we don't, uh, we don't come from that kind of um, history? Yeah, I think it's, so we it's kind of, huge that we don't, people up here don't really get it because they've never experienced yeah, it. They've yeah. never. I, I was about to say, I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that culture didn't exist. It never has existed here. I mean, in any quantity, we never had. There, there may have been people that came through here that had slaves and at some point early on, but it's never been part of the agrarian economy here. Yeah. So I, um, it didn't get entrenched like it did in the South, and and that that kind of racism and stuff just just so hard to get rid of, I guess. And, yeah. And it's. Um, it's difficult for me to understand because of my experience with people of other races has been largely positive. So I don't, I don't really get the idea that you have to like suppress those people just I, because they're different than. Yeah. It's not been my experience either. The, yeah. Just because of the, the way you look has nothing to do with the quality of your character. Yeah, Exactly. And who, there was a, I was talking to uh, an African-American woman that I worked with, or used to work with, and uh, I asked her what if she was afraid at times of racism. And she says, no, no, I'm, I'm never afraid. But if I see a bunch of guys, especially college-age kids, and a couple of them have their hats on backwards, I'll probably walk on the other side of the street. I'm a little afraid of groups of white men like you know i never thought of that to me like oh you know that doesn't that doesn't affect me but when you look at the other side of it like okay though that my chances of being of being harassed a little bit are greater with that type of a group of people you know it's just just how you might react to it after all this time it's kind of it's kind of uh, reverse profiling because of the way they look yeah. you know you're kind of looking at them like but then it's still a potential danger thing that you just can avoid, you know, just go on the other side of the street. Yeah, why yeah. Why try to go through the middle of that? Because you just don't you you just can't know in advance what the attitude of a group of people like that is. Have you ever experienced have you ever uh, being a white man, have you ever had any experiences with any racial being uh, against you? Because you're a white guy? No. And that's, you know, especially when I was in Philadelphia and working there where I was the only white guy. And there was nothing but good-natured uh, banter about it. There mm -hmm. was no, there was, it was never malicious at all. Mm -hmm. So I've never, I've never really experienced that. Huh. Yeah, I did when I was in Japan. They wouldn't let me into... Uh, I don't know what it was. I was going to go into a bar of like a, in Japan, it's like, it's all 
you can take an elevator because there's a lot of basically like this is what a 10 by 12 room like maybe there might be 20 by 20 foot rooms and they're all stacked one top of one of like six floors so you go up an elevator i was like oh there's a bar so i was just going to go up to the bar and there's a guy at the elevator and he says oh no 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 gaijin like no gaijin well wait no that's me no white guys like you're fucking kidding me dude he's like no 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 gaijin no gaijin it's like fuck you and your racist fucking attitude i don't want to go to your goddamn bar anyway get you know no like wow that's what it's like that's what it's like no gaijin yeah well i'm happy to live here in moscow yeah i we're we are really lucky to live here where we have such a diverse population and everybody seems to get along in it and i think it was it's been great for you know my kids growing up to be able to have friends from china and africa and all over the world and and but because sure of the it, university yeah and, uh-huh. I, and i'm sure it's you know influenced their lifestyle where they're unafraid to travel to any country and my son's married to a costa rican and yeah <laughs> you know so they um i think got that out of the way as kids that everybody you have to size people up one at a time you can't tell anything just from their color or the shape of their eyes or Mm -hmm. how tall they are you know you can't everybody's got to be judged as an individual yeah it's always about uh judging by their actions not their words but your words go pretty far (laughs) yeah (laughs) the deeds but the deeds carry weight um it's like who was it and there's a guy uh who was at the uh WSU, and he was saying that WSU, and he travels all over the world, that WSU is by far the most culturally diverse place that he's ever been. And just going through campus, because uh, that's where I work, and you know, you hear just different languages as you walk through campus. Just like, uh, I get it. Do I get it? Yeah, we're very fortunate to have have that culture here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's at the University of Idaho as well, but it's not, I, I don't think it's to the degree it is. It, I think WSU is more. I, I think it's more, at least there's more numbers. So, yeah, it, maybe it's more obvious because there's greater numbers of people from other cultures. But Yeah. Huh, and that's something you learn on a bicycle trip. You know, I, that's interesting how there's like Confederate on one side, of, just on the road, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually, you know, occasionally you'd see a house that had both flags. Like, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> you conflicted, you know? Or it's like, yeah. That's not called the United States. We wanted slavery, that? but World War II, you know? <laughs> we we like World War II. We were winning that. and But we still want this. We'd like to go back to the slaves. Like, <sighs> oh, man. Yeah, really. I, I, I. How, how can you? How is your brain working when you have a Confederate flag and uh, what's and a Union the, flag a union as well? Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. I, that's that's all I can think of is that, you know, I'm American, but I want it to be, you know, the principles of the Confederacy. You know, I want to go back. Yeah, I wish it would have 
Yeah, it could have combined. Wow, I, that that's just uh, my brain hurts on that one. I would see those and I'm like, what is that about? I'd like, <laughs> like to talk to you about how, how do you resolve that? How do you reconcile that? That you're going to... An American, you're okay about the union thing now because you get a subsidy, but then, <laughs> <laughs> but then you wanted to go back. You know, it's an, I'm never going back. And it, that whole premise, you know, the whole slavery and the Civil War thing. I, I, I have to personally. I take that back to the Revolution, if that's not too philosophical for you, but. Um, that the Revolutionary War was actually about slavery, because that's a question. N well, I, th I think it was. I, I mean, that's my opinion that the Revolutionary War was not about taxation or any of that. It was about oh, slavery. states' rights, or it was that the Un United Kingdom was thinking about abolishing slavery. I mean, they did abolish slavery in 1832. So if we hadn't had the Revolutionary War and disconnected with the UK. Mm -hmm. Then slavery in the United States would have been abolished in 1832, ah. which would have, there would have been no civil war based on that. Hmm. And I think people saw that coming in oh, 1776 and like, you know, those guys are going to, the king's going to abolish slavery here pretty soon and we're going to be screwed because we depend on free labor for, to run our plantations and so we need to get loose from them so we can keep this alive. I think that was a, a an unspoken basis for the Revolutionary War. Hmm. You know, look at, did any other country that uh, became independent of the UK have to have a war? Canada didn't have to have a war. Australia didn't have to have a war. India didn't have a war. Well, yeah, not not till after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until after the independence. Right. Huh. Interesting. So anyway, I'm just... Wow. That's, a, that's just a thing I've... After reading um, Alexander Hamilton's biography and Grant's biography and Washington, and you read some of those, the details of what went on then, and it was like, yeah, you guys were pretty entrenched in the slavery thing. Yeah, you've read Grant's biography. Like, have you yeah. read Grant's letters? Uh, some of well, there's some letters included in his biography. Well, and his autobiography that no, not his autobiography. Just that, that's a two Ron, volume thing. That's the big. Ron Chernow thing is like fifteen hundred pages or oh, something. Geez. But, okay, but um, pretty great detail about his life, and uh, he was never he never was in favor of. He married a woman who was a slaveholder from a Southern family. And his father-in-law gave him a slave and he freed him like immediately. Like, no, I, he, he needed the money, but he just said, no, you're free. So his whole mindset was not, was completely abolitionist all along. And uh, was, was a champion of the whole reconstruction and all that. But still, I'll, you know, I kind of, I kind of think the Revolutionary War had more to do than just tax on tea. <laughs> you, 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 hope. <laughs> you hope it wasn't just tax on tea. Yeah. But, you know, 
these, these those small things that turn into bigger things. Yeah, I think there's the winds of change were blowing. People were seeing that this isn't going to last forever, and if we don't take control of it, we're not going to have it, and it's going to be economically disastrous for us if we have to. Or they thought it would. It probably wouldn't have been. If they, mm -hmm. I mean, the rest of the United Kingdom didn't collapse when slavery was abolished. Well, you're talking about this, and I just feel really ignorant. Because I haven't studied it at all, you know. I'm, I'm not a huge history buff. So continue with what your, your thought. Oh, you mean as far as the United Kingdom, like in 1832, abolished slavery, and so all the like the sugar plantations in, in the Caribbean and whatever, mm -hmm. then those people were free. And so they had to get paid wages, but they still used them to, I mean, it was still kind of a servitude thing, just like the South was after the Civil War. Um, yeah, you're free, but we're not, how are you going to get money if we don't employ you and move to Chicago, move yeah. to Kansas City eventually happened, but there were thousands of murders when those people, you know, started voting and electing their own people to the legislature and whatnot. And there were, there was a lot of un, unresolved murders because of that. Hmm. So it's kind of a basis for the profiling and everything that goes on now or the the reason people kneel at football games again. Yeah. Huh. Just a, just a look, just like, Hmm. They got to kind of walk a fine line because I have an opinion on this, but because I'm in the public eye with my, with my regular job, right. you know, I have an opinion, but in my head, I'm like, what, what can I say? What can I not say about this? Uh, I think what what I'll say is that I think when it's someone, anyone, is doing a very public display of I am saying no, that they need you need to listen to what they're saying. Pay attention to what they're saying. How can we resolve this thing that is obviously disrupting the nation, if not the world, and is causing strife? How do we resolve this? How is there a win-win? for this. You can't just say, it's dumb, it's stupid, they're, they're against what we all stand for, because that's, that's not really what it's about at all. It's not. It's not. And they'll tell you exactly what it's about. So how is there a win-win situation? And, and now, now there's also talk of like not even playing the national anthem, so these guys can't even have their opportunity to make their, to, to say, hey, there's something really messed up going on here. Can we please get some res resolution, anything. I mean, just looking for, for something to help. And then you're saying, okay, we're just going to not play the, 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 uh, the national anthem so that you can't make your display. That's, it, that's even worse. I mean, who's, who's, who's the worst person in this situation? Well, yeah, clearly the worst person is one that's trying to suppress some other person. Um, you know, and, I, and I've heard the arguments about about that. That uh, well, it's a it's a it's a place of business. You know, you're an employee. It's a football is a business, 
And uh, and so when you're employed by someone, you have to do well. But I don't I don't really think you give up your constitutional rights when you are employed by someone. Yeah. And also the display that they're you're that's going on. The protest that's going on is in a public place that's in almost every instance is paid for by public funds. Those stadiums are all built with bonds from mm, that's, you know, yeah mm, it's a public point. place the game has not started they're not at will employees they're contract employees if it doesn't specifically say in your contract you have to stand up for this you know i agree to stand up for the national anthem then they shouldn't have to do that they're not um they're not hourly employees that can be fired at will they're contract employees i mean you sure you can cut them but you still have to pay them so Go ahead. I guess that's how I'd view it. It's like if I was calling Kaepernick, it would be like, as long as you're still paying me, I guess I can. I'm fine with that. Unless I'm not getting any head trauma from this. So I I just don't think that uh, telling those people they can't do that is is the right thing. I think it's you're trying to suppress something that's an obvious social ill that needs to be addressed. And I, I'd like to see the NFL owners say, you know, this is a real problem and we should, like, really be working on this. There shouldn't be racial profiling. There shouldn't be. We shouldn't have an excessive number of black people in prisons out of all proportion to the amount of crime that goes on. These things are real and they should, we need to address that. If they would get behind it, it would go away. But because they try to suppress it, I mean, there's, if you say, you guys can't kneel anymore. Well, they can go out and do some other gesture. They can all put their hand on top of their helmet or something. They can all like stand really wide, you know, stand on one foot. If you say you have to stand, you can stand all stand on one foot. There's a like a hundred different ways you can express that. Mm-hmm. And it will never, that will never get resolved. So or, you, or like, you know, the, uh, the Olympics in the seventies. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. You just raised the, a the fist. fist. Okay, would you rather have that? I mean, and not only that, but even to the, the story of how that all came to be was he actually asked someone in the military, said, what, what could he do? And he said, well, I think that, you know, a respect would be to actually kneel at that because that's yeah. kind of a respectful position. Um, so you're still respecting, but showing I don't agree or, hey. You know. I'm trying to call attention to some social ill here without... F- without harming anyone and so without now, being uh aggressive without being militant with uh, or and it's a simple thing yeah and not is. only that but it's only for a couple minutes it's not like as if they're they're all sitting there kneeling and saying no i'm not going to go out on the field for the entire football game i mean they're kneeling during the national anthem I mean, it's it's only a few minutes till the ball's kicked off they're really not employed <laughs> I mean, they're employed to play they're employed to play the game what they do outside the confines of the game is uh, in a public place i think is like they should be able to do that that's my that's my personal take on that but then you know i'm i'm in favor of showing drawing attention to that social ill and doing something about it what do you think should be done? Well, definitely we can stop uh, 
having policemen shoot people of color that are unarmed and you know the percentage of times that that happens is way out of line there's obviously racial profiling goes on and maybe we shouldn't have that um, uh, I went to the uh, Association of Idaho Cities meeting in Boise a couple of years ago with the city council thing and uh, they had a guy there talking about um, policemen and how we can stop having lawsuits because of behavior of policemen, you know, uh, lawsuits against because they overreact or use violence when they police brutality kind of things. Mm -hmm. He said, um, you know, we hire policemen or a majority of them are people who've come out of the kids who've come out of the military and they're 23 years old and they've been trained to kill people. That's what they're, that's what you do in the military. You're trained to kill you are, other yeah, people. This is very true. And so their brains aren't even fully formed yet. You're 23 years old, 24 years old, and you're going to give these people who are like, have a, produce a pretty heavy dose of testosterone, and you're going to give them a powerful car and a gun and uh, authority to wield power over their other people. And then you wonder how come they get into trouble. You know, you wonder how come they push it too far. It's because he said the ideal age to hire policemen is 36. Really? And that's, that's when you should start being a policeman. And, but women, you can hire women to be policemen at 20 because they don't have that issue. Hmm. So maybe that's that's something that needs to be done is we need to like the training and and maybe starting out with a little bit older male policemen might help tone that down somewhat. Yeah, but, by more 30, women. but by 36, generally you're pretty established in a career. Yeah, you would think that, yeah. So that's, that makes it difficult to do. That makes it difficult because people are... So the training of police, you know, in, the, in the Moscow Police Department, they're starting to have a, you know, a, a career thing where they get high school kids to learn what policemen do and and initiate them into what's proper behavior as a policeman before they ever even think about it as a like here's a career choice you can do and these are the things you have to know and do and this is what's uh -huh. important it's the integrity you have to have and almost like civics yeah exactly. At the city council meeting the other night, there was a, a female police officer that's starting this program, a police explorer program for kids all through Laytow County that might be interested in a law enforcement career so they know what it's about and 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 maybe get the message across that you're not there to be a bully. You're not there to to pick on other people or you know how important it is to not do that. Or not be perceived as doing that. Mm -hmm. So that I think maybe that's where it has to start is the in the training and hiring of law enforcement people. But it's not you know the the problem that uh, the kneeling is about is not just about law enforcement. It's about general. I think it's about general racism. You know that people are discriminated against because of their race. 
without any consideration of their character. And I, that's the thing that needs to change. Yeah, it's just wrong. Just plain wrong. Yeah, I certainly, I don't want to be pigeonholed because I'm old, you know? And AIDS discrimination is a very real thing. Yeah. It certainly is. So I don't, you know, and it's, it's, it's coming up fast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, every day I think it's arrived myself, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like your mom's 87. My mom is 87 as well. And, uh, she says the hardest part about growing older is that you start, you have no more friends. Your friends all yeah. die when you're 87. I mean, that's old. I mean, the lifespan of a male in the United States is what? I think 77, 70. something, yeah, like, something that. like that. In the later seventies, mid seventies is that's it. I mean, if you make it to 90, I mean, how many friends are you going to have? How many male friends are you going to have? 87 even. That's, that's, that you you know, that's a long life. Uh, I know most of my mom's friends are 20, 30 years younger than she is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the people, she has a group that she rides bikes with and they're all 60 something, you know, and <laughs> the kids. Yeah. The kids. And, uh, and she has, she plays cards with people that are, you know, 20, 30 years younger and teaches Spanish at, to the. English is a second language, and she does that to... So she's around much younger people all the time. And I think it makes a huge difference, but... Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, you can't really hang around much people that are much older than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that. I don't know, but, you know. Yeah. Well, they're not around anymore, <laughs> right? you know? Like, you can go out to the bone pile and sit there and talk to them, but you're not going to get much conversation back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Huh. But man, that, that all comes back around to bicycling, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> well, because, I mean, it's because of, I assume that because you, of the good health that you get, the exercise that you get, keeping the, the ticker uh, is a muscle. You got to work that muscle uh, and bicycling is definitely good and all of that, but you're getting healthy doses of, of uh, big lungfuls of, of uh, fresh air every day. And there's, there's definitely lots of studies about how going out and just like doing deep breaths, like, <sighs> so you're, you're increasing, um, the, the, the healthy oxygen flow to your body parts and to your brain, how that helps you, uh, just in general, live a longer life and a healthier life and helps with your brain. Um, so I can see how that would just give you longevity. Uh, by riding a bicycle. So I don't know my mom, my mom's thing is because <laughs> she doesn't do that at all. Uh, you know, but uh, it's just a... Yeah, genetics are a big deal, you know. Yeah. But still keeping the, you know, keeping the pipes open so oxygen gets to the yeah. to the computer, I think, is a huge thing, you know. I, I think it certainly prolongs the quality of your life, even if not the extent of it, you know. like. We've only, uh, out of our four parents, my wife and I have four parents, three of them are still alive and two of them are over 90. So, and the one that's gone died at 91. So it's, you know, in in that gene pool, my kids probably are doing pretty good. They, yeah. They've selected their grandparents pretty well, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad, let's see, I might think my dad was 84. 
80, oh, was 83 when he died. And then, you know, my mom's 87. So that's, that's not that's, bad. That's pretty good uh, odds. Yeah. My, my, like my grandmother, my mom's mom, I think she was 98 when she passed away. And my dad is, his father died when he was fairly young. Like, uh, I say young, I think it was like in his late sixties. Uh, but my dad is definitely older, uh, you know, modern technology with, when it comes to healthcare is mind boggling. For yeah. example, you know, like my mom just at 87 years old, just got her hip replaced. And I was like, mom, you know, why, why are you doing that? I mean, think about it. I mean, seriously, how long do you think that hip's going to last you? I mean, is this something, do you really need this to, she goes, oh yeah, of course. I mean, the doctor was like his, his mom just had one and she was 80. He says, she's about your age. And he goes, well, how old is she? She says, she's 75. My mom's like, wait, I'm 87. <laughs> you know, and she's like, oh, well, you'll be just fine. And that, it, it changed her life. I mean, she lost weight. I mean, you're able to help move around. Yeah, yeah. You move around and just your, your quality of life is so much better just because of, you know, modern, uh, technology when it comes to healthcare oh, yeah. is mind boggling and nutrition as well you know yeah you know how much how far that's come in the last 50 years yeah you know my grandfather was born in 1882 and i'm pretty sure that the they didn't have a salad every day and, and <laughs> you know and right. when they were growing Not up so in many a, carbs grandpa when they were living in a Saudi in south dakota i doubt they like you know had a salad and sushi once a week or anything like that you know <laughs> yeah think about think about that i mean look how far inland you can go i mean we are like how many miles are we inland and you can get fresh fish yeah yeah every day and you know bananas you know like here we are like <laughs> pretty we're pretty far from where you can grow bananas and we and they're like free almost you know <laughs> yeah i just got some the other day at a sale like yeah yes like, today this morning like 39 no, cents a pound or something yeah 39 you know? cents a pound and that, and just think of what you have to do to that. I mean, that's like, no, the, the technology, there's, the, this is a whole big thing about bananas and the type of bananas and how there's over uh, hundreds of different types of bananas and why the particular type of banana that we get is here only because it can travel well. They put it in storage. They put it in like, a, was it CO2? Yeah. Helps it to, to travel so that by the time it gets here, it uh, not only does, does the CO2 actually kill any, uh, uh, nasty things that might be living in there, like spiders or insects or et cetera, that comes with it. But it also helps it to uh, maintain its greenness before it gets here. And then you have to plant it just right so that by the time it gets to the shelf, it's it's yellow. Like the just, it's mind boggling. And for thirty nine cents, <laughs> that's nothing. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, and while they you know they grow in Central America for. Basically, they grow for free, you know, so it's it's a food you just have to pick. Yeah. Grows and grows and grows. All, mm -hmm. all because of us. <laughs> Go us. <laughs> you need to start talking about, you know, that makes you think about the local, local food movement, you know. Yeah. We're going to try to grow everything here. Like... Try to grow some bananas here and see how that works out. You know, you you could do it, but like the the infrastructure to do that would make them cost quite a lot more than thirty nine cents. I would think. You know, yeah. how much do you think a banana that you, you had a greenhouse that's like 
it's like the climbing gym at the U of I rec center, you know, it would take a structure like that to grow bananas in and then. Banana, uh, apples, grow, you can grow them right in your backyard yeah. and they're still $2 a pound. <laughs> Think of that, you know, yeah. and all of that, but it like, okay, right now, okay, you're probably, if you get apples right now, you're probably, you could be eating fresh apples, but say two months ago. That was all stuff that was in in uh, cold storage. storage. Yeah. yeah, you can go out right now and get all the apples you want for free on any old railroad right away. There's like apple trees growing like crazy, like Johnny Appleseed went up and down there and planted <laughs> those. And, and they're pretty good apples too, you know? And but, uh, like, uh, so Elise, uh, she grew up in an uh, apple orchard, cherry orchard. Uh, that's her... Yeah, that's where her parents, that was his, her, her father's uh, main occupation. Her mom worked there. Everybody worked there. And uh, uh, so you can't plant an apple seed and get a decent apple tree. It has to be grafted onto an apple um, uh, root or uh, uh, stump. And then you can grow the tree. But you can't, or get. you have to get that, that tree um already pre-grown and then you plant that but you can't just grow it from a seed it doesn't it, it just won't work it won't get a good apple tree by the way it's just been bred out of them huh it's been yeah. bred out to yeah so johnny apple seed maybe back in the day but that apple's not gonna be very tasty no no honey crisp from johnny man yeah johnny's apples are kind of mushy we don't really like them either. it's crazy you know uh, no but think you know we go back to you know like uh just what we have here and we're just talking local moscow idaho think of like if you go into any grocery store you're gonna have probably what five six different varieties of apples oh yeah you can probably do that in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and and still get thirty nine cent bananas. You know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, like it's just incredible you, that we can. The technology of transportation has made that all possible, and and like you said, the technology of preserving things while you transport oh, yeah. them has made it like ridiculous to try and grow everything where you live. I mean. Certainly, it's great to grow things that grow well where you live. I mean, certainly we can do really well with lentils and garbanzos, and we can make great hummus around here because we can grow garbanzos, and uh, certainly we can do great noodles because we grow great wheat here. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. but uh, it's not not a good banana region. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot right. of mangoes, you know. We're not going to get a lot of mangoes here. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, unless there's like a mango apple kind of a... <laughs> Grafted on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. You never know. Well, maybe, you know, with climate change, possibly. Well. I don't think in our lifetime, though, Tom. I think, I think we're stuck with imported bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, are there... Are there bananas grown in the United States anywhere? I mean, even like in... I couldn't say for sure. Maybe Florida, Florida you might be maybe? able to. I don't know. But anything... But that, but Florida, I always associate with the, with the, with the um, oranges. Yeah. Oranges there. 
lemons and oranges and like California. Yeah. But it's not not quite wet enough. Yeah. Warm enough. Not enough day length for bananas, maybe. Huh. Got to get close to the equator for those guys. Yeah, they need more warmth. Well, it's pretty warm there, but yeah, who knows? No, you know, I'm, I'm not a fruit. <laughs> I'm not a farmer, not a fruit grower. Yeah. Here we are <laughs> postulating. You know, I, I talk on the radio real good, but <laughs> I have an excellent radio face. I've been told. <laughs> I got a nice compliment the other day. Some guy says, "Wow, you're not as ugly as I thought you'd be." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, a backdoor compliment. You know, like, kind of, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because that's the thing, you know, when you work on the radio, people, you, you, you kind of get an imagination of what people look like. Right. And they never look like what you think. No. And, but I apparently I'm better looking than what this guy thought. Except for, like. you remember um, BBC. Sure, it's like still, from way back when. Uh, maybe. During the first Iraq war, mm. like uh, the BBC had someone, an announcer named Rosemary Church. Oh, yeah. Rosemary Church. And I think she's damn, still the she looked like, she looked just like she sounded. Oh, does she? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, huh, I was totally in love with Rosemary Church. Like, I couldn't wait to hear the news from Iraq. <laughs> I can wait longer. <laughs> Yeah. Good thing it's BBC Radio. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you know, it is a medium. But uh, yeah, if it were, if it weren't for that, how many people wouldn't have a job? You know, if everything was TV. <laughs> All right, Jim. What uh, what else do we need to talk about? I don't know. We've we've pretty much covered all the relevant issues of the day. What do you got to think of? Think about here. Yeah, um, it was good talking to you, Jim. It's we've been late. we've been working on this for quite a while. Got yep. uh, two hours, is what yeah. I'm thinking. What, yeah. I, what what the computer says. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. Com conversation, right? That's conversations. T h o conversations dot com. <laughs> it's the, the H yeah. makes all the difference. Yeah, it does it makes it conversation. <laughs> 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 got it. Got it. Hello, Rosemary Church here with Tomversations. <laughs> I'm going to take that one to the bank. <laughs> take that to the bank. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, great time, man. Good talking to you. That's it. Jim Boland. Thank you so much. Our new friend, Jim. And uh, thank you for listening to Tomversations, T-H-O-M-versations.com. I'm Tom Cocaine, over and out. <laughs>